incredible moment, Christmas Day, 1968. For the first time in human history, people are orbiting another celestial body. And in response to this incredible human accomplishment, the only words that seemed appropriate were the first 10 verses of the book of Genesis. And so according to the mission plan, astronauts Bill Anders, Jim Lovell, and Frank Borman looked down on Earth and they read the creation account. On a broadcast watched by as many as one out of every four people on earth. Now why did they do this? Because this human accomplishment, amazing as it was, paled in comparison to creation and the work of God. How many of you were alive in 1968? Show of hands. How many of you watched that? Yeah, it's about half. That's about the same as first service. Just incredible. Just incredible. So we're going to use the Word of God today. If you would like a Bible, please take yours out. If you don't have one, raise your hand and our ushers will get you one. If you don't own a Bible, please take this home as our gift. We'd love for you to have it. If you're more of an electronic person, uh, there's a Version Bible app. An events tab in there has uh, Lancaster Evangelical Free Church, and you'll see all the verses we're going to use today. The words of Genesis 1 are familiar to pretty much any Christian you'll meet and many other people as well. But one of the problems with familiarity is that we often fail to appreciate what we're familiar with. For example, in uh, 2012, 
My family moved here from California. And although I had spent significant time in Pennsylvania as a kid, for my family, everything around us was new and wonderful. So what did we do? Well, we spent our time visiting and photographing the amazing sites. For example, we went to Costco. Now, did you know that there's buggy parking at Costco here? Like, holy cow, you drive past this, you're probably looking for a parking space and you're wishing that there weren't buggies there and you could park there. Right? I took this picture and sent it to my friends and family and they were all blown away that we actually have buggy parking. Right? And, and those kind of things, we don't even notice them. Or for example, the farms in Lancaster County. The farms here are spectacular. And we're driving along and Patty's taking picture after picture after picture. I'm like, sweetheart, we live here. They'll be here tomorrow. And she's like, I know, but they're so beautiful, right? <clears throat> or did you realize that it's a little over two hours and you can be at the National Mall, right? And here's my wife and her friend at the National Mall for some Girl Scouts event. We did that that summer. And, and it's about the same two and a half hour drive and you can go to the Smithsonian, but the one out by the Dulles Airport where they have the actual space shuttle. Now they don't let you fly it, but you still get to see the real space shuttle, right? Or, or maybe you're more of a history person than that. It's about a 90 minute drive to Washington's Crossing. This is the place where George Washington and the Continental Army crossed the Delaware River on Christmas night, right? A few years before 1968, on Christmas night. And they went in and that, that surprise attack gave them a much needed victory the next day. That's only about 90 minutes away. Don't even get me started on Philly, right? Like, like Philly has so much. This is Independence Hall. Now, it's not just a prop for a Nicolas Cage movie. It's a real place, and it's 90 minutes away, right? And it's incredible going through there. And right next to it is Congress Hall. And I remember when they said, oh, we're going to go to the upper house. I was like, oh, it's upstairs. That's why it's the upper house. Like these things that we know and see and, and we just don't go, right? Or the Liberty Bell. It's my late mother-in-law in front of the Liberty Bell. We took her that summer, right? When's the last time you went and read all the things in that great visitor center that they have? Or how about this? The fastest ocean liner ever made has been parked in Philadelphia for decades this thing is larger than the Titanic and its top speed was classified, but we now know it was 42 knots, which is about 50 miles an hour for a thousand foot long vessel. It's an incredible feat of engineering and it's sitting there rotting away in Philadelphia. <clears throat> now, every photo I just showed you was from the summer of 2012 and I could show you more. We went to Baltimore, we went to other cities and states, we went to, I think we went to Gettysburg that summer. If not, we did the next summer. We went all over the place. We tried all the cheesesteaks, right? John's is the best. Okay, and then we visited museums and monuments and parks. Now I have a question. How many in this room visited all the sites we visited this summer? I know one. How many of you, other than Costco, visited one of the sites? Right, just a few, there's more hands. You guys do more stuff than first service. Don't tell them I said that, but it's true. Right, so, so here's the thing. Why don't we do that? Because when we're familiar with things, we kind of take them for granted, right? We stop thinking about them. We don't go visit the, the, the famous sites because they're right there and we always can. 
And when things are familiar, we stop paying attention to them. Our awareness becomes vague familiarity with no intentionality. For example, how many of you recognize where this photo on the screen is from? Well, here's a hint. It's less than a mile from the church. Right? It's on Warwick Road. And, and I'll bet you've driven by it countless times and you've never stopped and given it a moment's thought. The beginning of the book of Genesis is a very familiar passage. So familiar that I think most people read it without ever stopping to think about it. But there's a lot to think about here. And just like how each of these local sites reveals more with each visit, every verse of scripture has more to give and we can benefit by a thoughtful revisit. See, we oftentimes read Genesis when we're at the front end of like, I'm gonna read through the Bible in a year. It's already January 2nd, so I gotta get caught up, right? And we read really fast, we go right by it, and we don't even think about it. Genesis, in the beginning. We're so familiar with these words, we don't even stop and think about what they mean. But today, we're gonna read the creation account with fresh eyes with the eyes of a return visit to a favorite attraction, looking for the deeper things. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, just thank you for who you are. Thank you for your incredible grace and mercy. Thank you for your love for us. May your spirit inform us as we read through your text today. May we just be given wisdom. May we sense your wisdom. May we touch your spirit. May we begin to really understand who you are. Lord, we love you. Just pray that you'll be with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first three words of the book, or one word in Hebrew if you wanna be pedantic, in the beginning. So, so what happened in the beginning? Well, it says God created. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the author of scripture. And the Holy Spirit is telling us that God was there at the beginning of time. But it's, it's more than that. See, God wasn't created at the beginning of time. He was already there. He was ready to do the creating. Which has other implications because if God was there before time itself existed, God is, is bigger than time. See, as created beings, we are utterly bound by time. Each one of us shares a common experience of moving through time in a linear fashion. Each day leads to the next day, leads to the next day. And we don't get to jump forward, we don't get to jump backwards. Each day follows the last. But God, on the other hand, he doesn't move through time. He exists outside of it. And existing outside of time is something that our minds have a seriously difficult way of understanding. But let me see if I can help you. This is one of the ways I think of it. As a kid, I loved playing with model trains. And it was fun to, to, to do that. And as a father, I set them up around the Christmas tree for my kids to play with. And one of the things I noticed as I was thinking about this is the trains are bound by the tracks that we set out. They can't move if they're off the tracks because the tracks have the electricity. Those tracks are like the time and our lives move along those tracks like the trains do on a train tracks. When we're placed on the rails, 
We have to move forward and we keep moving forward every single day. But God, God's not bound by the tracks. He can take that train and he can put it wherever he wants to on those tracks. And he can see what's coming ahead and he can see what happened behind. And unlike us who are bound by time, he can interact with all of it at the same time. Now, of course, this fails to really capture the majesty of who God is. But it helps at least me to understand a little bit of God's relationship to time. He's outside of it because time is his creation. Well, okay, so what was happening before the beginning? What existence happened before, what existed before existence? What happened before time had been created? A famous theoretical physicist and mathematician once said that asking what came before the beginning was like asking what was south of the South Pole. It's a nonsensical question. And to our minds, part of creation and bound by time, that's about the best we can do. But God has been and always will be. The psalmist said it this way, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God exists outside of time. And in the context of time, God has always existed and will always exist. But that pre-time existence was not meaningless or nonsensical because God is not bound by time. In fact, God has always been in relationship outside of time. Now, if you're confused, or even if you aren't, turn with me to John chapter one, and let's read together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now, if you're new to reading the Bible, you might be asking yourself, who's the Word? Who's the Word? Well, you aren't the first person to have that question. And in fact, the Apostle John who wrote this book he answers this question a little later on in verse 14. It says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word is another description of Jesus, the son of God. But it's not just a nickname, it has meaning. Jesus is the very word of God made flesh. So with an understanding of who John is speaking of when he says word, let's go back and read those verses again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. See, John 1, 1 to 5 is a second account of creation. And like the first one, it provides some very clear teaching on the nature of God. In the beginning was the word. You notice it doesn't say that in the beginning God created the word. It makes it clear that the word, that Jesus, was already present in the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. 
Thus God was not alone before, throughout all eternity before the beginning of time. He was in relationship. The Father and the Son, and as we'll see later, the Spirit, they exist in relationship full of love, full of glory, full of grace and truth, from everlasting to everlasting, to use the words of the psalmist. This perfect relationship between the three persons of God was all sufficient. God did not need anything to fill a relational need or to amuse himself. His motivation for creation was not out of need, but rather out of an overflow of his goodness and of his love. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. The very deity of Christ is testified here. This is one of those passages that cults and other religious orders, they can't deal with this. They wanna make Jesus less than he is. They wanna say, well, he's, he's just a good man or he's a wise teacher or, or a wonderful prophet. But Jesus is, is not just part of some holy assembly. He's not a most important general or a favored prophet. Jesus isn't one of a collaboration of children. He is the pre-existent God. Jesus was not created, he is the creator. He's the only one of the same essence and nature of God. He is the only one who can lay claim to the words, theos en hologos, the word was God. And yet verse two says what? He was with God in the beginning. This is a both and situation. Jesus, the son of God, is a distinct person from God the Father and is capable of being in a relationship with him. But despite that unique personhood, Jesus is also fully God, not a second deity. And the idea that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are fully God and yet distinct per persons is the clear teaching of scripture. And we see that clarity here. So understanding the presence of Jesus the son of God at creation. Let's return to Genesis, but, but keep a finger, a bookmark, something in John, because we're gonna come back here. But let's go back and read the creation account in Genesis one again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Bible begins by, by telling us what it's about. This is the story of God and his creation from the very beginning of time. And verse two, it sets the context of, of, of that the earth didn't always exist like we know it now. At one point, it was formless and void. There was no land, there were no trees, there were no birds, there were no fish. It was formless and void and utterly dark but the Spirit of God was present. And the Spirit of God was ready to play his role in creation. Where we come from and where did the world come from are life's great questions. And the book of Genesis wastes no time in tackling those issues, identifying that the eternal God created the heavens and the earth, and that God existed before what we know as reality had even been created. 
that God existed and created all things speaks to his power and his authority. These are attributes that demand a response on our part. But verse two does more than just identify that earth was originally formless and void. It also sets the context for the rest of the creation account and indeed most of scripture. Well, what is that context? Right here on earth. The creation account is not written from some context that we can't understand. It's written in a context that matches up with how we experience the world on the surface of the earth. And in setting the context, we also have a record of the involvement of the Holy Spirit in creation. The Holy Spirit is described as the breath of God. And it is this breath that gives life. At creation, we have the very breath of God hovering over the waters of the deep, ready to bring life to a world that is formless and void. God created through Jesus and made life through his spirit. So back to John. John 1 verse 3 says, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was through Jesus that this creation happened. The spirit was, was present, was hovering over the surface of the deep, ready to bring life. God who has existed and will always exist had created time itself, created the entire universe, and more specifically and relevant to us, he created the earth and everything on it and gave it life. So back to Genesis 1. Let's look at verse 3 together. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. See, now the fireworks begin. God has assembled the materials in place and now he brings light to the darkness. This is a moment. This is where God begins to reveal himself to creation before that creation is even complete. This is the origin of the revelation. That is the revealing of God. The great 18th century pastor and theologian Matthew Henry describes light this way. Light is the great beauty and blessing of the universe. Like the firstborn it does of all visible things, most resemble its great parent in purity and power, brightness and beneficence. It is of great affinity with the spirit and it is next to it, though by it we see other things and are sure that it is, yet we know not its nature, nor can describe what it is or by what way that light is parted. But by the sight of it, by the sight of the light, let us be led to and assisted in the believing contemplation of him who is light, infinite and eternal light, and the father of lights who dwells in inaccessible light. God reveals himself to his creation by becoming light to the darkness. The light itself invites us into believing contemplation of he who dwells in inaccessible and unapproachable light. What a beautiful thought, the great beauty and blessing of the universe. 
But our creation story isn't done. Let's go back to the book of John. Hopefully you didn't give up the bookmark. John 1, 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God reveals himself to his creation as light, and reveals himself to us through the light of Christ, the life that is the light of all mankind. God brings the light into darkness, in the physical realm at creation, and in the spiritual realm through Christ. We can apply the phrase great beauty and blessing of the universe to both the physical light of God and the spiritual light of Jesus. And that got me thinking, these accounts, they're written separately, but they're really meant to be considered together. Ancient Jews memorized all of the Torah. Now the Torah is what we know as the first five books of the Bible. And sometimes, often, they, measure, they memorized the whole Old Testament. Now as such, many of John's readers would have not been just familiar with the beginning of Genesis, but would have had it memorized. And because of this, the beginning of the book of Genesis and the beginning of the book of John tell different parts of the same story. And they make the most sense when you consider them together. So I've asked my friend Chip, he's one of our elders, to come and to read with me. And what I would like you to do as we read this combined account, just close your eyes or lean forward or do whatever it is that allows you to just receive and hear the word of God of creation. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In the beginning was a word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from the darkness. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Thank you, Chip. This is the OG origin story, right? The story of creation is in our scriptures, and the reason it's there is to tell us who God is, to communicate his power and authority to us, and to introduce us to Jesus, the light of the world and the light that illuminates our dark and sinful hearts. These texts are central to the first point of our statement of faith. And in fact, I, I wanna read that this morning. And let me just explain, the statement of faith is something that as a church we say, these are the majors. You may have heard us say we major on the majors and we minor on the minors. The things in the statement of faith are the majors. These are the things we want everyone to agree to. And this statement of faith actually comes from our denomination. It's called the Evangelical Free Church of America. And all EFCA churches share this statement of faith. So let me read point one for you. We believe in one God, creator of all things, 
holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having limitless knowledge and sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his own glory. This is who God is. And as you saw this morning, our text illuminates these properties of God. But what about the last sentence? How can we be redeemed? Just as the world needed light and could not function without us, every one of us needs Christ in our lives. His light gives us light. His light gives us life. His light is the only way that we can pierce the darkness that consumes us. And as we'll see later, uh, every one of us was born into sin, and because of that sin, we are separated from God. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That sin fills us with darkness that we are powerless against. In that darkness, we sin and we fall short of what we were made for, and we fail to live up to God's perfect standard. Romans 3.23 gives us more bad news. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's where darkness leads us. But God, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his own glory. And so Romans 6.23 continues with great news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The all-powerful, almighty creator of the universe wants a relationship with you and with me. And through the person of Jesus Christ, he has made a way. Romans 5.8 says it this way, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We sinned. We deserve death, but God loved us. And because of this love, he provided a gift on our behalf. He provided his son, Jesus. And through Jesus, the light of the world, we can receive life. If we choose to accept that gift, the penalty for our sin is paid. And good news, we no longer deserve death. Romans 8.1 says it this way, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. When we say yes to Jesus, our sins are washed away and we are whiter than snow. We are as blameless as Jesus. Now earlier I said that God has always existed and created all things and that that's a testament to his power and authority and that that demands a response from us. So let's talk about that response. You got to see some of the photos that I took in summer of 2012 where we took in the local sites. And making the trip into Philly to see Independence Hall is a great way to spend a day and a great way to make the familiar fresh, but, but that's not what I'm hoping you'll take away from my sermon today. Because let's be honest, all of us fail to appreciate who God really is. How often do we treat God with the same casual familiarity we give to Lit at Springs Park? Are we treating God like the almighty, pre-existent creator of the universe? 
Are we throwing him a bone by spending a few minutes in prayer here and there? Is our walk with Jesus less involved than our walk to the mailbox? Or is it a walk worthy of the incarnate word of God who created all things? When we ask the Holy Spirit to fill the room, do we expect anything? Do we really understand that the Holy Spirit that lives in us is the same spirit that was hovering over the surface of the deep, ready to create, ready to give life. And he wants to give that life daily to us. Does our worship reflect who the spirit of God is? Or are we thinking about something else like if our football team is gonna win today? God has shown us who he is through his creation. There's a theological term for this, it's called general revelation. We see a hint of the power of God in the eruption of a volcano, in the massive waves of a mighty storm, or in the lightning like we saw a few weeks ago where it just lit up the sky. We see a hint of the beauty of God in the flowers and the trees and the mantis shrimp. If you don't know what a mantis shrimp is, go look it up when you get home, you will not be disappointed, it's beautiful. I don't know if it's tasty, but it is beautiful. We see a hint of the beauty of God. We see a hint of the gentleness of God in an intricate spider web, the delicate and unique snowflake, or the thin thread of a silkworm. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. This is the God that we read about in our passages today, the almighty the creator. God spent eternity in perfect relationship within the Trinity. And even though this was all the relationship he could ever possibly need, out of an overflow of goodness and love, he created the heavens and the earth. He created us. And then when we broke that relationship through sin, he demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to pay the penalty on our behalf for our sin. God desires a relationship with you. He wants you to know him and he's calling your name. The question is, are you listening? Many created things are vying for our worship. Money, sex, power, all other sorts of idols in our life serve to pull us away from the one who loves us who created us and who carries the real power and authority. Let us daily let go of these things and bend the knee to the one who made everything that has been made, the one who has always been and always will be. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We are so thankful for who you are that you love us. We're thankful for the way that you have spoken the world into being. Lord, I ask that we would acknowledge you in accordance with who you really are. I ask that we would recognize that you are the one that is deserving of our honor and power and praise and glory and attention. And Lord, if there's someone here who's listening to me or someone listening on the stream that doesn't know you, I just ask that they would, would say it is time that they would hear the rest of the story in Romans. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So if you don't know Jesus, admit that you're a sinner. Believe that God raised him from the dead and choose to follow him and make him the Lord of your life. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. And we just praise your holy name. We thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have an opportunity to marvel at the majesty of God in response to the incredible truths that we've heard. So let's stand together. Let's respond to the power and majesty of him.
in this church, assuming you walk in the front door, you see four phrases above those doors. Love God, love people, live truth, proclaim Jesus. These are what we call the marks of a disciple. That's what makes up a follower of Jesus. As you leave this week, think about how do you love God? the almighty, the eternal creator of the universe. You know, when we love someone, we wanna get to know them. Spend time in his word. Spend time reading who is he? What What does the word of God have to say about him? Set aside serious time for prayer. That conversation that we have with somebody we love is crucial to getting to know them. Spend time in prayer as you love God. Think about how can you be a disciple of Christ and love God this week and every week going forward. As you leave today, if you accepted Christ or if you just have a need for prayer, to my left back there as you're heading out the door uh, is the encounter room. And in there will be someone who would love to pray with you, to talk with you, to maybe explain something. I'll be up front if you wanna talk with me and James and Nika will be up front if you wanna meet those who are going on the field to bring the gospel to people that don't yet know the word of God, who don't know the creator of the universe. So go in peace, you are dismissed. Be blessed.